HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is the story of a startup, part two. Listen in, and we'll check in with Salivation and see how they're doing on this episode of Tech Bytes. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It is Monday afternoon, and I'm sitting in a shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza, and that means one thing. That means it's time for Tech Bites, the weekly Heritage Radio Network program where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology is a little company called Salivation. It's a digital video app that is intended to teach you how to cook like a chef. And we covered this app back on episode 23 in the first part of our startup story series. And we have back in the studio today, Salivation's founder, inventor, and CEO, Joseph Epstein. Hello. How are you? Thanks for coming back. Uh, Thank you for having me. We're looking forward to catching up with you and see what's going on. This is kind of a little bit of a catch-up episode and a part two episode. And we always start off Tech Bytes like a good meal talking about the different apps that we like. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. In getting ready for this show, I was listening to episode 23, which is the episode you came on initially, and uh, was refreshing my memory on the conversation and the things we talked about. And I was also getting a refresher on everybody's apps. Jack Inslee, who is our engineer back there in the booth and also Heritage Radio's executive producer, you were griping about uber on episode 23 (laughs) i was and then i like reversed my stance on a a later episode you also promised us an update on how you liked lyft because you are abandoning uber to go to lyft i'm back on uber um (laughs) i used my lyft coupon it was great (laughs) and then i stopped using it i have to be honest so you deleted Lyft and reinstalled Uber. I, I still have the app. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, Uber has been proving to be very useful in other cities. I've used it a lot. Uh, I've been traveling a bit. And um, it works well in a place like Madison, Wisconsin, where I just was, where I'm like, I don't really know how to hail a cab in this town. Um, and the app works. And it's really cheap, too. Funny thing about using Uber in, in Madison, Wisconsin, though, I I, uh, I used the service twice over the course of five hours. It was the same driver both times. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Kind Probably of sp- not quite as large a fleet yeah, as I don't we think have in so. New York City. Might just be one dude. Who knows? But it worked out for me. It was pretty cheap. So Uber redeemed itself. It and did. Especially in the travel. And you're getting ready to travel to Washington, D.C. That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there um, tomorrow with Allison Hamlin, our deputy director. We are co-hosting a podcast workshop at Maketo in D.C., and that'll be really exciting. We actually have Ari Shapiro from NPR who's going to do a Q&A wow. at the end. Yeah. That's a big 
podcasting name. Big headliner, yeah. Absolutely. Is it open to the public? It is not. Um, oh, sorry, listeners. Sold out. Sorry, listeners. I just did a bad thing and promoted something you can't go to. Yeah. But you can listen to something about it maybe later. Jack, you're going to do right. one of those recap podcasts like yeah, we're going Yeah, we're going to try to record it and, and hopefully rebroadcast it. Um, and this is like really the first time we're doing a formal podcast workshop, so I hope to host more of these. I, kinda, I like where it's headed, um, and I hope to host more soon. Well, if you are listening and you really want to have a podcast workshop in your life somewhere at some point, send us an email, give us a tweet, give us a shout, and you never know what can happen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're very participatory. We like to answer answer the call. And so my app that I was talking about on episode 23 was the Neko Atsumi Japanese cat app, which is an amazing game where you collect stray cats at your house and you lure them into your yard and your home by leaving them games and toys and snacks. And I'm happy to say that I'm still playing it. I've expanded my um, base from the yard to a home interior to a second interior. I have about a dozen cats now. I have a couple more to go. Um, yeah, and so I'm still doing that. So that's exciting. And then, Joseph, you, when you came on, you actually called out the What Three Words app. I did. Are you still helping to conquer the globe with a new addressing index? I, I like the way that they're doing on a conceptual level. Um, but I mean, I don't know where to go from there unless it connects to a GPS system that you can actually use for driving or something like that. I don't see where to go from there with this app. So, so it's lost its initial luster for you. Um, well, I think the luster is really the, uh, the concept, not as much the implementation. So I think that in the future, when there are larger issues at hand, it could be very helpful for something like uh, relief for some sort of. Uh, disaster or something like that, that someone can be able to plug in three words and have within, you know, this five yard radius or whatever it is, um, exacting coordinates the longitudinal, latitudinal, you know, like latitude. Um, that's something that's interesting to me on that level. It's not for practical use for the you and I, I guess. So did you stop using it? I did. I did. I just used it for, just to figure out where I'm working on the day to day for a few <laughs> times. And I was like, all right, I know where I am. I'm apple bear, coconut and that was it and that was it yeah for this one so i I think that illustrates a a good point for us to jump into the next piece of the segment where you initially discover something it's interesting you really enjoy the the theory or the thought or the philosophy behind it and you utilize it it serves its purpose and then you kind of go okay i'm good with this and you kind of move on um so much of the tech world today and what we do and what we interact with is very much like that because so much of it is so new. And what has the staying power? What do you really gravitate towards? What do people really gravitate towards? And then sort of build the groundswell for support is what I think we're going to talk about today. So the first time we met Joseph back for episode 23, he was that day starting his Kickstarter project for his Salivation app. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph... What happened that week? Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, there was sort of a maelstrom of, a, of in, in, you know, uh, having problems getting the thing off the ground and uh, sort of a stumbling out of the gate. Um, so by the end of the week, I had realized that my personal network was doing very great and doing a great job in supporting it. But just a few instances, I realized I wasn't going to make my goal, so I pulled it. And I said, all right, I have to reconfigure the messaging and the promotion of the, the whole system. I mean, I wouldn't even call it an app, so that's one of the issues right there. So most of what we read about in the media is about how successful startups are and how successful Kickstarter campaigns are, and we um, are captivated by the amount of potential there is in Kickstarter and the startup industry, and everybody thinks that maybe they're going to be the one with like that golden project, that golden ticket that's going to, you know, just become wildly successful. But the reality is even in Kickstarter, the the rough numbers right now that are on the statistics page of the website, 94,000 projects, more than 94,000 projects have been successfully funded. But the ones that have not been successfully funded for whatever reason is 163,000 plus. So there's a far greater percentage of ones that don't work out for whatever reason than they're ones that are successful. 
And now that we have a little bit of um, age, I think, in the startup world, because most of this is very, very new within the last few years, we're starting to see investors, inventors, entrepreneurs talking about how you pivot, evolve, take in feedback and sort of reevaluate and go to the next step. And the technology industry is one that really iterates very quickly and very rapidly. They take feedback. This is working. This is not working. We do a new one. We do a new one. We get feedback. We do a new one. We do a new one. So you're in that sort of loop right now where you are, you pulled it Mm -hmm. and now you are pivoting, reevaluating, taking your feedback and, and going forward. In ways, uh, I think that the the pivoting you would think of as being a hard, when normally when they use the word pivot, it's really a hard turn for something completely different, and that's not necessarily what we're doing. And um, what we're really looking at is, and in the episode that we had spoke, I, I said, um, if it's not getting out there, it might be a problem with the messaging or our reach, right. and, and those were really the two major problems. Right. Pivoting on the messaging, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's more, more so the issue. The product itself would, would be very similar. I haven't seen any reason for anything being discouraging about that. Um, so if so. the product itself, and do you want to describe it very quickly for people, what the, what the concept and the product, it's patent pending also? Uh, yes, it is. Um, I guess, the, and I'm still working on the messaging. This is what the next five or six months. Well, this maybe. is a description, not a yeah, message. Exactly. So well, there's a well, difference between brand messaging and, and how you create a, a public facing uh, brand. And then sort of adjacent to that is how you would describe. Well, yeah, I, I think that the issue that you're that we're, we're talking about is it's a complicated thing and what words describe it easily. So I would say it's a real time Coursera for cooking. If you know Coursera, I don't know okay. Coursera Coursera. Do you know Khan Academy? Nope. Okay. These are the online resources for something like MIT or Harvard or University of Pennsylvania or University of Michigan offer their classes online. Right. So um, given that I'm not an Ivy League mathematician or scientist, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with their systems or the course offerings. Okay. Well, Khan Academy is a free one and the Coursera is a, a for-profit. And you can get these really amazing four-credit courses, you know, uh, you know, 40 hours of where you're watching video series and taking the quizzes as if you're participating at these high level colleges, uh, taking a few of the courses. They're pretty amazing. Um, and some of these courses are ones that you would be paying the tuition for. And so that's what we see ourselves as being is. So when you say you take an online course to me, who's not had an experience in that field, I think I'm watching videos, I'm listening to things, I'm reading articles and perhaps doing some research, and then I'm taking some sort of test um, at the end to sort of see whether I've captured the information and I've learned it. Is that what the salvation system does? That's not what we do. That's different, but that is exactly what they're doing for the courses. For ours, it would be that the course is through doing. So okay, so you're it's because we're mechanical skills, right? We're actually chopping vegetables and. So doing you're talking about theoretically, you function the same way in terms of you do something and you learn something, but the things that you're actually doing on salivation are very different from the things that you're doing on these Coursera and educational websites. For sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Just to clarify, I mean, when we talk about clarity of messaging, mm-hmm. if you say, "Oh, our system is just like Coursera." And then I say, reading, video, research, taking a test. And you say, yes, that's exactly what we do. We do something exactly different. Mm -hmm. So I'm just starting to maybe pull the threads a little bit in terms of messaging things by saying, yes, we're exactly the same when in actuality you're very different. Um, I guess you could say that. And and if you're going to be putting it that way, if you're taking a class on workshop, like a home ec class, that's the course field, field work is not taking tests, reading and that, it's actually getting in the wood shop and cutting the, right. you know, making that thing. So, But you don't do field work on an online curriculum, do you? Or maybe you do. Well, you can. I you mean, can. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't think that's something that you wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're taking a math class, maybe you're not doing field right. work. But, right. But this is actually for mechanical skills. So, you know, cooking is a mechanical skill. So that's, and there also is a lot of 
more part, you know, it goes much deeper than that, right? About understanding cooking and cuisine and culinary, you know, the whole world that you would be learning if you were going to a, a CIA or a French culinary or one right. of those things. There's a lot more to it. So, so let's start again. Explain to me what Salivation is. Okay. Well, Salivation is a company. One of our products is that we're working on is a system for teaching people how to cook through the action of cooking. Okay. That's great. Yeah. And how do you do that in the system? Okay. When I say real time, it's... Have you seen the movie Ratatouille? Did we go over today? No, nope, I have not seen it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so in the movie, there is a rat that marionettes a... a a chef, yes. basically. And he doesn't know what he's doing, but it, the mechanical actions are being pulled, so he does these things. So the conceptually, what, what we're trying to do is recreate that rat so you can be physically doing exactly what's on board on the screen to do from the perspective and the brain of the rat. And through doing that, because we're human beings and we have brains, we actually retain that information and can replicate the things. Um, and that's basically what we're trying to do. Much like being trained in a kitchen with no experience on a high-end kitchen. Chef stands with you. Chef doesn't always stand with you, but that's really wonderful if Chef does stand with you in a high-end kitchen and you don't have any experience. That sounds like a very special moment. It is a very special <laughs> moment. I've been very lucky to have those special moments. And in a small kitchen, you often do get that. In larger kitchens, you don't. So you get someone. So in the movie, though, mm -hmm. Ratatouille and the chef were physically in the same space. Mm -hmm. So one action and reaction were connected by physical activity. Mm -hmm. In this instance, this is a digital product. Mm -hmm. So the Ratatouille salivation system mm -hmm. is digital. And so you're not actually having the marionette effect or the effect of someone standing next to you. So in place of the true physical presence, then what is happening? Well, exactly. And that's where you are constantly recalibrating much like it would be more so like gps if you go off your off track it tries to pull you back on or if you make a a mistake it takes you down a different choose your own adventure to sort of rebound um and that's where we're using different forms of not just following a linear recipe so things like learning to cook through your senses so that you can understand if you're if it's constantly with you for the full let's say two hours of cook time then you have a much greater control on that person on making sure that they don't go off the rails. And so this is the, the describers of how you explain what the product is. How do you think you need to enhance that, evaluate it, or evolve it to make it resonate more with people to further your startup business? That's a good question. Um, Based on what you know now, because one of the initial things about pulling the startup, the Kickstarter project, was the messaging. Because mm -hmm. you have a very clear idea of what the product is. Mm -hmm. You're very clear that it's going to be a great product when you make it. Mm -hmm. You're just having a uh, challenging time articulating it to the people who will be your customers. Certainly, that's the, the major issue right now. So... How do you think that messaging or that description needs to evolve to get to to close the gap? <laughs> I mean, again, a very good question. I think that is what the next five or six months is really going to be in going back with an, possibly a new crowdfunding campaign, a new Kickstarter, and through that process of working with a, a team that I trust to help take a look at the whole the whole concept and saying these are the p pieces that are going to resonate with people. You, you, I can't explain everything in the system in that short span of time. So what are the ones that, that matter? And the ones that actually say 90% of the things, you know, there might be a hundred words that describe only 1% and there might be five words that explain 90%. So what are those five words? Clearly I have not found those five words on my own. So, so, but you were a part of a team. You had built a, a, a nice team around you, and you were a part of a, a, an incubator. Incubator or accelerator? Um, somewhere in between. I would say more legal services with uh, mostly legal services. Okay. Really. And PR, and you had a branding partner. So you were creating you know, the, the campaign within your core group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to build it up, um, and we had issues there, and 
I, I think that the main issue was that working with a team that was not technically technically savvy in a lot of ways, understanding social media on a level that I think it really would penetrate, um, and it showed through evidence through there was very little penetration there, um, or also are not very deep in the food world to be able to understand the audience well enough. So a lot of the time that we spent was an education on who are these people, what what do they... And I can describe it because I've worked in the cooking world for quite some time now, and so... Um, and the people, the, the chef like Jonathan Wu, obviously, he's a, a superstar chef. So we know it, but it's very hard because we're not doing the day-to-day legwork of contacting the people in that sense because that's why I had these people. <laughs> like, right. If I was going to do that, I would just do it myself, which um, maybe I should have. I don't know. But I didn't. And so uh, I learned the lesson that it's a very peculiar, you know, everyone's a little bit guarded in this world. And, you know, it's very familial. And I, I understand that from, you know, my chefs, my world, they're, they're family. I mean, you spend more time with them than you do your own family. So, you know, it's very guarded. And to have someone that might feel at times like an outsider trying to crack that is very hard. And um, I learned that. I learned that. So I'm working with people that are more now, or at least I'm looking at working with people that are a little bit more closer to the pulse. Closer to the pulse. That's a really... Um That's a great observation, and I think one that's very critical in terms of everything digital and online and tech-based now is very specific. It's very um, segmented into categories of demographics and people and media channels and streams that, you know, there's a reason why people get hired to manage social media, specifically Twitter or Facebook or video or Instagram or Snapchat, because they're all extremely unique and and very focused. So I think to your point, you need to have experience within them to understand that it's not just sort of this blanket social media thing where you just throw some stuff up and and it's okay. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that a lot of these are you can read a thousand articles and, you know, it says the one, you know, one, two, three, do this. But even following that as a template does not get you in the door. You know, it's like reading a pickup book or something like that. That does not <laughs> actually get you the date that you may want. That's um, a really fun analogy. Yeah. That's and a it's really, really accurate because you're really quoting these people. You're quoting bloggers that are in this field. And, you know, you can't just say, love your article on, um, you know, farming techniques and then, that's it. And then an exclamation point, winky face, it's not, they're going to be like, okay, I get that all the time. But if you're actually really intrigued by this and genuinely into the, the world, you might have a real question for them. Um, you know, their views of, you know, organic farming, GMOs, or some of the, you know, um, that's something that's actually real. Yeah. And you have to actually have a deep knowledge about that to go yeah. further. It's a good analogy, I think, to compare successful social media with successful dating because it does come down to knowing your audience and knowing who you're talking to. And I am the recipient of many of those emails from publicists and business owners and Kickstarter founders where they say, hey, we love your fill-in-the-blank website, radio what have you, and we'd love it if you would check this out. And you can tell by the language that it's a form letter, and you can tell by the language that they haven't really taken a close look at the website or perhaps listened to the show. Yeah. Um, well, even worse, maybe it isn't a form letter, and that person just writes in form letter format, and that's all they know because that's they, how they experience life. And that's what I was experiencing a lot of ways with the how it was working before. It was, um, It's just there is a almost a shorthand in, in the way to talk with people. In especially over the internet, um, mm. that you either grab them immediately or you don't, you know. And um, unfortunately, I'm not, I don't have this this awesome skill. I'm the first one to admit that I'm more well, of a it's, behind the scenes inventor and well, can manage again, people. But it's a specific talent and a specific job, and mm-hmm. it takes a specific knowledge base, which I think. Like so many things, even to a certain extent with cooking, people think because I have Twitter on my phone or because I have Instagram on my phone or I use Facebook in my downtime that I'm some sort of expert. And you certainly could be expert in the experience, but when it comes to 
being expert in a marketing sense in creating creating audience and creating traction, there's a reason why it's a job. The same way there's a reason why being an inventor or a chef or an attorney is also a job. Yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> and, and you know, with, with attorneys, they say it's, it's, you, you practice. It's a practice because it's always constantly getting better. It's not you haven't mastered something and then you're just done. Cooking's the same thing. And um, Also, when you're talking about something like social media, um, just because you have a great voice doesn't make you an expert. There's so much behind the, the data science of it all and SEO and Google Ad, you know, how to work that system so that you're actually picking the right keywords or the hashtags. Or, and that, that's almost a, an engineering level type thing as well. So, you know, there, it's, you almost need a team there or you have this wonder kid that can do it all. Um, I would love to find that wonder kid to do it all. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, <laughs> we're going to take a little break and we are going to hear from our amazing and generous sponsor today, Culture City, which is a really uh, fantastic not-for-profit that does advocacy for people and families with autism and kids with autism. It's a really great organization. We're going to hear from them. And we're also going to hear a PSA for the opening of the Museum of Food and Drink, which is happening this week, brainchild of Heritage Radio Network host Dave Arnold. Very exciting times. That's very exciting. Hi, this is Dave Arnold from Cooking Issues, and I'm here to talk to you about the Museum of Food and Drink, which is finally getting a brick-and-mortar space right here in Brooklyn, New York. So the Museum of Food and Drink is opening the MOFAD Lab, our first laboratory and gallery space, where we will be putting on an exhibition called Making It or Faking It, the history of the flavor industry. And it tackles a very important uh, topic, which is how the food system got to be the way it is now uh, as a result of the intervention of the flavor industry, how that happened. Get your tickets at tickets.mofad.org to come see the first exhibit ever of the Museum of Food and Drink at the MOFAD Lab, brought to you by Infinity on 62 Bayard Street. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him. All the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for nonverbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps, and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. Well, if you've just tuned in and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on the Heritage Radio Network.org. And Tech Bytes is a show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, that technology uh, is something called the Salivation app, and it is a cooking, learn to cook program. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Smoother than me. And we are talking with Joseph Epstein, who is the inventor and the CEO of Salivation. And it is part two of the story of a startup. And when we first met Joseph, he was starting his Kickstarter project, which he pulled after a week, realizing that he wasn't going to get the momentum and numbers that he needed for a successful campaign 
went back to the drawing board, but not the drawing board really on the product because he's pretty satisfied and solid on the concept of what the app is. Back to the drawing board in terms of the social media, the branding, and the publicity to get the message out to find the audience to help support, prove the concept, and raise the money. So Joseph's initial team is no longer with him. Um, except for the chefs, yeah. Except for the chefs. And the chefs are? Well, Jonathan Wu is the only one right now that I can – actually, um, and Hunter Morton, the, the two I can announce right now. And Hunter Morton is? He was actually the chef that, that taught me everything I know in the physical act of cooking um, when I worked for a couple of years in Max Downtown in Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. So it's a fine, fine dining restaurant. It's awesome. <laughs> awesome food. Wonderful. So the men who taught you to cook mm-hmm. are going to help teach other people to cook through the app. Exactly. exactly. So what do you think um, you need to do going forward in terms of what are the pieces of your social media and branding and marketing team now being smarter and wiser from the first round to go into the second round? What do you think the key elements are that you need to have? Well, I think there's a few things. And one, one of the things um, is really building the audience well well before you go into it. Um, and, you know, when we were going for the, the press, we were really looking for a press. Do not start publishing things about the salivation, Kickstarter salivation at all until the day of our Kickstarter. Well, you know, I think that maybe as we're going along, just building a, a profile and press along the way really helped just build the overall understanding of what we're doing. What was your initial thinking in terms of creating an embargo on publicizing it until the day of the launch? That was the advice that was given to me from the team that I I used. Um, They said, you know, you you, you want reporters to get the scoop. They want to feel like they have the scoop. And if a blog picks it up before um, a print publication, they're never going to pick it up. And so that was sort of the idea was the exclusivity game. Yeah, exactly. And I don't necessarily think that that necessarily works or maybe it does. But that's really if you're going for really a big thing with a big fish. And um, I, I, I don't know if that's, you know, that's the right way. Or at least we learned that it wasn't the right way this time. So maybe either. Well, a. It depends on if you utilize that to actually get a print or online media exclusive. If someone bites on that and says, yeah, I'd love to have that exclusive, you can guarantee me nobody else has it, then maybe it's worth your while. The question I would put back to you is, so you wanted to embargo information until the Kickstarter campaign went. Did you have a media outlet that did get the exclusive? Well, that That's the interesting part, was that the most major publication that was interested in it um, said... I'd like to see some more traction before we're able to even print it. So get more press. So it was like I was getting an egg. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I think that it was just uh, a major misstep on the advice I was given by the the team that I was with. And I don't I think that possibly the way that media works a little bit, especially with the Internet now and social media is a lot different than the print media of 10, 15 years ago. And um, I think that maybe it was operating the way that we were operating was a little bit dated for what was needed. Um, and we we learned the hard lesson from that. Definitely media is very different today than it even was five years ago. Yeah, exactly. And print media has a very different relationship to online media than it used to have. Mm -hmm. It still definitely has value. Absolutely. It has value. But depending on what you need from your publicity, that value can go up or down. And typically, I think most Kickstarter or online crowdfunding platforms are best served by digital media because then it's click, click. Of course. And especially because if you're trying to if you're doing a digital offering, you know, and you're using a digital form to actually be raising your funds and all this, the only value of a print media to me, in a lot of ways, is A, it's awesome to have it in print, but B, there always, or almost always, is the accompanying uh, link on, so they put it on their own website. Like, right. You know, the New York Times, you might get it in New York Times, but there's the New York Times online, and you're going to use that link to post it to wherever you want. So, um, it's still almost like a pseudo-print. It's sort of more, you know. You want the publication, but you want them to put it on the online outlet. Exactly. More so than you want it, the tangible 
printed version. Yeah, I mean, I love the the tangible. On a personal level, I love the tangible thing. Is this sort of a gravitas to it all? Like, yeah, yeah where are they? absolutely. But which is awesome, and I, I would never. I mean, even going back looking at that, I wouldn't trade that. If we got that more so, you know, if we got into the New York Times, that would be, or or Monocle Magazine or something like that, which is not appropriate for a Kickstarter, obviously, but one of my favorite print publications. So personal satisfaction. Yeah, personal satisfaction, but I think also would help frame the brand of um, being in that Monocle, what they are. And I, I very much feel that we're aligned with that sort of, our products are sort of in that, that field. If, if you know Monocle well, then you would know what what that is it's a very specific aesthetic so so coming out of the first campaign you want to well, fix the pr or change perhaps the pr program for the next round mm-hmm. to generate more support and awareness before the campaign starts generate that support and awareness online mm-hmm. and in terms of utilizing then digital media one of the things we also talked about earlier was the messaging. Mm-hmm. So did you craft the messaging before the PR plan, after the PR plan? Because sometimes crafting a message has to do with the media channel. For sure. You um, know, so Twitter is 140 characters. Facebook is as many as you want. Now there's Facebook video. Snapchat is completely visual. Mm-hmm. So... One of the things that we talked about, and certainly one of the things you talked about in episode 23 was going forward, if it didn't work out, pivoting on the message was going to be one of the things. So do you think that's the universal message, or do you think that's message specific to media channel? Hmm. I have to think about that a little bit. I, I would, I'm hesitant to answer that right away. Um, you know, I, I think that when we started the pre-planning for our, the original Kickstarter, we came to the voice of if you were in person going to the Four Seasons back in the day, and that Four Seasons restaurant, not hotel. No, the hotel. Going to the Four Seasons hotel. Going to the hotel and meeting the concierge there, and the way that they would behave and the way that they would the hold themselves was sort of the ideal of what we would want to be as sort of the that sort of that voice that type of voice so not the truncated words and the you know slang and all that that's a really interesting visual and personality for the voice of the brand and i think it's great that you created an actual person that Mm -hmm. you can think about where they where they worked how they would act you can their speech their tone how they would dress creating an actual character or character type or character name to represent a brand is something that advertising and PR and brand agencies do all the time. They Mm -hmm. do that for the brand. They do that for the audience. So it begins to humanize it and personify it in a really clear way. So I think that's a great idea that you did that and very smart. I'm completely surprised that it's the concierge at the Four Seasons Hotel because the concierge at the Four Seasons Hotel is not remotely close to a chef, a chef in a kitchen, a cook, somebody digital online. So in terms of talking about the different groups of people you've already mentioned, mm-hmm. participating in creating the app, looking for the app, using the app, mm-hmm. is the Four Seasons Hotel concierge an avid fan of Monocle? <laughs> Um, and online doing, you know, all those things? I would say that he is an avid fan of Monocle for sure. I mean, I think that's right in, in sort of line. Um, it's interesting because it does sound a little bit old. It sounds a little bit stuffy. but And not digital. And not digital. And not getting your hands dirty, and really, good, either. Um, yeah, I, I think that... Let, let's jump back and say, let's use a fictional, more fictional, um, go to... The I actually recently saw the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm-hmm. and that is getting very dirty. And having understanding what, uh, what someone's needs are, and being able, but also keeping that always in control, never breaking a sweat, and having you're anticipating the person's needs before they ever even know that they need it. And that's maybe more the being the the lobby boy was more the important part of that movie, if you remember. Um, but that was a reflection of. The, the the front person that that sort of 
that sort of care to care for attention and attention to detail. Um, so is that still the concierge at the Four Seasons Hotel? Is that still the personification of your brand or the voice of your brand, do you think, still, based on what you know now? We're in that, you know, right now we're in that open world of the metamorphosis of what we're going to be in six months. So I can't say that right now. Yes, because it hasn't changed yet. Right. But I haven't gone through the, the proper exercise to understand and really take a hard look at the full brand and and what I met. It could work. I don't know, though. Um, but one thing I do want to stress is that we are about doing things very properly and not messing around or you know i think the problem is you have these these websites with hundreds of thousands of recipes but what's the quality control on those things and what we're talking about is not offering 100,000 recipes we're talking about offering very few dishes but those are very highly executable and they give you something from the end so well, every entrepreneur who sits in that seat and we've had a few people who started a food tech business mm-hmm. Every single one of them will tell you that their personal vision of quality and quality control is superior to any of the other visions of quality and quality control that are out there. Well, and that sure. is, that's uniform across the board, whether oh, it's yeah. food service or payment service or yours. So, But definitionally, if you're offering 100,000 recipes, they don't have the level of attention to detail that if you were to work a I, I could de- play devil's advocate and say I would be willing to bet that the folks from Epicurious would say that they have thousands and thousands and thousands of recipes and videos on their site and they're all of extremely high quality I understand, I do understand um, well played <laughs> well so my point is and of course, if you're starting a business, you think you have the best thing or you have something that's better than what's available. Otherwise, why would you do it? So mm-hmm. confidence is important and confidence is important just in order to make it through the times of starting a business because that's very difficult also. One of the questions that I always ask people, though, in terms of trying to pull out what the brand is or what the differentiator is, is all of that's really hyperbole. You can point to the competition and say, well, they do this. And that's not great. And ours is going to be so much better. And our quality control is so much better. And our product is so much better. Because I say so. Because Joseph says so. Because the, the owner says so. And okay, but if you can tangibly explain what the differentiator is or tangibly say why it is so much better, that's part of being able to kind of make a proof point of what makes the product really exceptional. Well, for sure. And I think that, you know, for for our product, we're not trying to be 100,000 recipes that are cooking for the meal. Of course. It, we're the, it, it plays two roles, right? One is you get a delicious meal, but the other side is you're learning fundamental skills that you would be learning in a kitchen to become a professional chef. And that's what we're trying to do is combine those two. So Careful, though. You're learning skills from a professional kitchen that you would need to become a professional chef. That's a pretty big promise. I'm not saying that you that you can learn all of them, but you learn the skills that you So wouldn't. I could become a professional chef going through your going through the course study, going through the recipes of the Salvation app? If we if we're around long enough for that, then yes, what I'm saying is just because you have let's say a hundred. What we're going for is a hundred. No, no, I understand that, but I'm, I'm talking about what you, the way you just described what your product is. How it's so much better that it's teaching you the skills you need to become a professional chef, and to, that is a very big, of course, of big course, promise. It, well, of course, that's a big promise, and the, that's the execution of it all. Is that if you do these things, you will learn skills that you need to become a professional chef. That's a lot different than this is going to encapsulate everything you need to become a professional chef. But those skills are professional techniques. That it's not, they're not hacks. And that's what we're, we're going for is really the things. And if they're hacks, they're hacks that are actually really used in real. So when you uh, say hacks, you're not talking about the quality of the chefs or the cooks. You're talking about hacks in the sense of shortcuts and things that make life easier. Like kitchen hacks or cooking hacks from that point of view? Non-professional cooking hacks, I think, mm-hmm. is what we're, yeah, I'm talking about. You're not, we're not looking to... Um, save you five minutes to right. you know, to you know i mean obviously we all have gotten in the weeds before if we've ever if, if you've ever worked the line you've been in the weeds and you had to do things in ways that if you had the time you wouldn't wish you didn't 
have to do. You know, be it you're cooking a chicken your way behind, you have to throw on some pans on top of it to, you know, speed up the process. That's terrible, and you wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, you get yourself. The beauty of the system is that you're not in a kitchen that's doing 150 covers right now. You're in your home cooking individual portions so it's you're gonna you you get around a lot of those those issues if you're properly sequenced you never should be in the weeds right so but that's a lot a lot of an explanation to talk about what the product is and when you get to branding and messaging and digital publicity it needs to be very short are would you be comfortable if the tag going out on the product was this will teach you the skills you need to be a professional chef because well, that seems very clear to me. Yeah, and that well, seems I a mean, di- differentiator. That also seems like it's a, a really big thing to deliver on. Mm-hmm. Well, but in terms I, of clarifying and simplifying messaging. That is very much our tag, actually. Our tag is the chef you'll become. The so. chef you'll become is different from be skills to become a professional chef. Uh, I think the word professional chef, the, the word professional is the chef I will become or could become. That could be anything. Professional chef is very specific. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I've had many of these conversations before. Um, and home cook and professional chef are, or home chef and, and pro chef are two very different things. Um, you know, I could, I, you know, I would like to walk back that answer in the sense of what becoming a professional chef, being a professional chef is a lot less about, um, just the cooking part. It's about costing and employees and, and management and a lot of things that, we're we're not going to be going into how to manage employees, so I, I guess you would be lacking some of those, those skills. But what we are doing are, and I think I said this originally, so I, I don't necessarily need to walk it back. Is we are teaching you skills that you would need if you were a professional chef. There's a lot of if and would Ex- well, in the next round, but that's okay. But yeah, that's good. I mean, that's and, how and I framed I think it. The, I think the so. exercise of the back and forth and yeah. my asking questions is really to sort of draw out from you um, some of the you know, maybe pain points on the messaging because that for you, the messaging and the publicity and the branding are going to be the critical pieces for you on your next round, making it to the... Well, for sure. And in the meantime, we are creating a lot of ancillary products that are very helpful to that, that follow the mission that aren't so large as this very large digital product. Um, What are the ancillary products then? Well, the, the idea here is if you're having the the ratatouille model let's say where you're having to learn to cook by your senses one of the things is just like anything you have to understand the senses or calibrate them so we've been working on making flavor kits or aroma identification kits um, to sort of understand either taste or smell um, and the combination of both what do we consider the taste smell and texture being what is the essence of flavor and both things that are absolutely impossible to get from anything digital. It, well, <laughs> so exactly. You need, a, you need a something else to teach you those pieces. Exactly. So we are making a physical product. Um, right now I'm working on was uh, Aromas and Coffee, and it's a scratch and sniff book that are basically the notes of all different coffees. Well, that's fun. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty excited about it. So real quick, we've just run out of time. Joseph, tell us, what are the next steps for you in evolving your Salvation app to the next stages? Great. Well, one of the things is making this Aromas and Coffee uh, scratch and sniff book. Uh, we're going out to California in the next month and meeting with a whole bunch of accelerators and people along those lines. And joining uh, Culinary Institute has a food business program. And thinking, meeting with them, I've done the open house and thinking about spending the next few months doing that, doing that as well. So heading to California, where it really is the one of the focal points of people who are really up to date in tech and social and really up to date on the whole startup front. Yeah, triangling it up, triangulating it all because I do have a great network here and I have a decent network there, but I would like to build it further. So. And where are you with the patent pending on the on the product itself? I mean, there's plenty of time to find out about that. I mean, it's a provisional patent at, at this point in time and then as the year goes up, so we're 8 months away, I guess. Um I'll see what I have to do to go for a full patent. But if you know patent law, anyone can do a provisional patent. And it's until you start going through the real uh, patenting process that they'll come back to you with amendments that you have to make to, to make it go. Yeah, I've been through this before. I have a couple <laughs> patents to my name already. So it's a 
four-year process. It's not. Well, short. most people listening don't have a few patents to their name, so it's yeah. always nice to hear actually how things work. Yeah, well, it's a lot of legal time, and there's a lot of changes that happen along the way to make it work. So, so at the end of every show, I, I typically like to ask guests for pieces of advice for the listeners, and given that this is Startup and our second episode of your story, what's the best piece of advice you would give people who are entrepreneurs who are getting ready to start their Kickstarter campaign right now? What's your best piece of advice based on your hindsight? Wow. Um, I would say be confident with the people you're working with and make sure that they understand the space as well as you um, and, and go for it. I mean, it's just continually chewing through the wall until you get to the other side. It's not, you don't have any tools. It's just all hard work. Well, and in the kitchen, they would say, make sure you have the right tool for the right job. So it's yeah. kind of the same thing. Yes, exactly. That's a very well put. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank Joseph Epstein from Salivation for coming back and really sharing like his personal story with us. I think it's very helpful for people, entrepreneurs, people starting on their own path to hear about the different trials and tribulations that you go through and then how you evaluate, pivot, and continue to roll forward. Ultimately, we hope to success. We often read about all of the seemingly lucky tickets that people hit, and all of a sudden they have you know $800 million of investing. But those are a little bit more rare than you think, and people working hard and going a couple rounds is more the average and the regular than yeah, that's the why they call the billion-dollar company unicorns. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, I want to thank our sponsor, Culture City. Check them out. They're a really wonderful not-for-profit. I want to give a shout-out of good luck to Dave Arnold and the opening of MoFad this week. And stay tuned. We have a great clip for you coming up from the Heritage Radio Network show, The Food Scene. And it's about champagne, which is always a good idea. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bites. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.